Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 105. Hey, this is Chris Aarons, co-author of The Digital Helix. And if you want to learn how to network in the digital age, you should listen to this episode of Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chappell. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, I'm sure you've heard me and my guests talk a lot about the importance of masterminds. I know I personally would not be anywhere near where I am today without spending tens of thousands of dollars investing into building relationships in a mastermind setting. So on that, I am opening up a second round of my mastermind, Build Your Network Alpha in order to build relationships with some of you guys out there. If this is something that interests you, please head over to buildyournetwork.co slash alpha to submit an application and hop on the phone with me to chat about it. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Chris Ahrens. Chris has helped build dozens of companies and products using a unique mix of digital sales and marketing strategies. Throughout his career, he has helped leading organizations become digital in both their practice and delivery while delivering results far beyond the sum of their parts. Always an innovator, he is credited with launching one of the first social media departments at AMD in 2006. Chris has won numerous awards for his digital programs while working for clients such as a 
Adobe, Amazon, AMD, Cisco, Dell, HP, LG, Microsoft, Philips, and others. In addition, he also teaches digital marketing at the University of Texas at Austin. Chris, thanks so much for coming to the show today, man. I'm looking forward to getting in the interview with you. Why don't you go ahead and expound just a little bit on that intro and then tell us what you're most excited about right now. Yeah, well, the intro reads much better. If you look at my resume, I think you'll refer to me as a job hopper, but that's... that's (laughs) All about perspective, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm always looking for another opportunity, but the key part of that background that you read and and my background overall is that I've really tried to figure out what I really want to do. And it it comes down to being a consultant and helping people succeed. And so all that stuff you read kind of is the boil up of that. But I've really tried to look at ways of helping people succeed, whether it be marketing, public relations, sales, digital now. And that is what I am most excited about. We just published our new book, with my co-author Michael Gale called The Digital Helix in October. It became a Wall Street best Wall Street Journal bestseller, which we're thrilled about. And we've just been having a bunch of really great conversations on digital, digital transformation and what it takes to succeed. So it's keeping me busy and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, sounds like it. And congrats on the bestseller list. That's awesome, man. For everybody listening, what would be like the number one takeaway that you want people to get from your book? So I guess the key takeaway from the book is that there, we've identified seven digital DNA components, and they all have to work together in concert, and you need all seven of them to be successful. 40% of organizations are almost there, but only one in six really thrive, and those have all seven working. You can't have five of the six or, or five of the seven or six of the seven or mostly seven of the seven to succeed, and that's the real takeaway from the book. Yeah, and I see that obviously in the intro, you can tell that you've worked with a lot of really powerful organizations out there. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you often see organizations make as they're like really trying to keep up during this digital age? Well, I think it's what your podcast is about. I don't know how many times I've introduced somebody from an organization to their counterpart in a different group of an organization. There's so often not a link between two PR people in two different groups or marketers in different groups or salespeople in different groups who should be sharing. And this is all part of what digital enables because it's able to flow through and share insights and information back and forth. But even going back to the early 90s, and this is happening today too, so often you see somebody doing virtually the same job in a different group and they've never spent any real time and in some cases don't even know their counterparts in these other groups. It's it's shocking. So what do you think the future is of like corporate culture? Wow, that's a, that's a huge question. It's definitely collaborative because, you know, one of the things that we've identified with the Digital Helix is that people have to be responsible to each other. And that means if I find something out in my group that's interesting and could change the course of my group, it damn well probably could change the course of your group and the business overall. And if we're not constantly, almost in near real time or in real time, sharing this, collaborating, bringing in other groups together to have meetings and not just shooting a memo or a PowerPoint over to them, I think there's going to be a lot of failure. But I really think it is a collaborative, very open, everybody together, everybody is responsible to each other kind of environment. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with 
Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So let me ask you this. Do you think it will be just impossible to be successful, let's say in a decade from now, if you don't keep up with these things? Or will the old school model keep working just less efficiently? No, I think the old school model is proving to be a failure. Some of these companies exist and I won't say thrive, but you know, yeah. keep going based on sheer volume and size of their footprint. And that's going to continue. You know, I remember when I was very young and I worked for some really bad companies, I thought, well, this company will be out of business in like a week and a half, two Mm, weeks tops. And they go on for years and years and years. (laughs) And then somebody asks you about them and you say, whatever happened to them, you Google them, you finally realize that like last week they went out of business. So, you know, companies don't just vanish. They slowly either be absorbed or, you know, transform into what shape Mm -hmm. or style or market they're in. But yeah, they'll keep going, but they're going to get overtaken by these smaller, more agile, more personally embodied, connected groups that are solving customer challenges and partnering with their customers. And every insight is designed to improve every group within the organization. The reason I ask all these questions is because that's something I've always been curious about. And you probably have a lot of insight into this, especially more recently when I see the more like the Silicon Valley culture of companies and how that's proving to be a really productive model. And then I know a couple of people that that are still in the older model and people just getting frustrated with it more and more and more. And it just seems to me that that's this outdated model is going to fall off because I feel like it's only been in existence for a short period of time anyway. Like we're still in the very infancy stages of what a corporation is and working, you know what I mean? Like rewind the clock 150 years ago, there weren't giant companies that you go work 40 hours a week at. And you know what I mean? Like this is all relatively new. And I think that we're still trying to figure out the best way to wade through that. What do you think is uh, really going to help us adapt to that in the coming years? 
So I want to challenge you a little bit on your question, because if we look at a company like Facebook, we can see all of the issues that they're going through and facing. And the big reason for that is because there was not a connectedness. There was not a framework for how to deal with this. And if you think about it with Facebook, we, the users, are their product, but yet they would leave us laying around the shop floors in a manufacturing facility without any care regard to what our data and how we're being used. So in a lot of ways, that Silicon Valley culture, which is great at startups and smaller firms and even larger firms are becoming that way. I know Amazon certainly tries, but you look at Facebook, they may have gotten too big too fast without keeping that connectedness and mm-hmm. keeping together and yeah. having individuals really monitoring and and working together for the good of the user and the good of the organization. Hmm. Yes, there's definitely areas to work on on all fronts for all companies, really. It never stops. It just, you can't ever let your guard down. You can't ever stop to be more connected, which, you know, as you well know. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see the transition, to be honest, because right now I obviously, I mean, I do this for a reason, you know, like I, I don't think I could ever survive in any company culture just because <laughs> just I don't like having a job. But I think that as jobs continue to transform and become more just about getting the work done and being, like you said, collaborative, but being connected into where you can still be flexible on your travel schedule, but still get your work done and work with the amount of hours that you need to. And it's not this like strict, like prison style for, you know, 40 hours a week clock in or you're fired type thing. I think there's going to be a lot of really cool improvements on what we've seen over the last 50 years in the next 50 years. So I'm just excited to see how that turns out. As am I. But I think the one thing that I think companies are going to struggle with is how do you get these people working together when everybody kind of goes around in a chaos theory kind of movement? So you still have to get bodies together in a conference room at certain points in time. You still have to have individuals connecting to each other because as you well know networking is great digitally it's great over the phone but sometimes you need to press flash sometimes you need to have all the bodies in the room and just hash it out to get something done and see the the facial tones and the expressions and to work through things and so i think that's going to be the challenge as we all become more digital more dispersed how are we going to make sure that we have those connection points when we really need them Right, right. Now, there's so so much stuff there, too. But this is the Build Your Network podcast. Where we talk a lot about yep. networking, building relationships. And since you brought it up, I think that was a perfect transition to start uh, <laughs> into, in diving <laughs> into that conversation. So this is the question, Chris, that I ask everybody that comes on to the show to get this conversation started. And that is, do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? Well, so I'm going to cheat because I thought about this a lot. And I think that I'm not going to give you too many examples, but I think we can all envision it. You know, people who are really smart and have no network, I think, are largely either worthless or isolated corner cases that don't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. People who are have great networks but don't know much, I don't think get a lot of connections. So I think you really have to strike a balance between the two so that when you have a connection, you're interesting enough and have enough insight and information to keep that connection alive and real and Mm -hmm. growing. And so I really think you have to have that balance of growing your network with good, interesting people to bring insights into you and your life, as well as having the insights to share out so that you're not seen as one of those takers in the worst case, or just somebody who's a dud in the other end of the spectrum. Right, right. So explain a little bit what you mean by the word taker, just for somebody listening out there. Well, I think we've all known, and if you have any kind of status online or you have any kind of status in your work world, I think we've all 
experienced people who constantly come and try to get things out of you without ever giving anything back. I mean, I always try in my networking approaches to come up with something I want to give to somebody. I want to share some information. I want to reconnect. I want to have lunch. I want to do something where I'm sharing or bringing as much to the table and hopefully more than you're bringing for the interaction we're going to have. But every once in a while, we get sandwiched by an individual or two that constantly is asking you for favors and never giving anything in return and never giving any value back for the interaction that you're giving to them. And that's what I mean by takers. Yeah. And that's kind of actually why my answer to the question is always still who, because it's, of course, a somewhat of a balance between the two, because if you're not competent, then you're just going to do more harm than good by meeting people who you want to meet. But yeah. I also think that competency doesn't have to directly correlate to adding a tremendous amount of value to somebody as long as you're willing to just help out. And like you said, look for ways to add value. So if you're like 19, 18 years old, you might be a competent individual, but you're young, like you don't have right. most in 99% of cases, this 18, 19 year old doesn't have experience. They don't have clout. They've never made any money. They don't have connections. They don't know any of this stuff. But I think that person can add just as much value to somebody's life than, you know, as somebody who is running a seven figure business that's 35, that's been doing this for a little bit, or, you know, even 40 or 50. I think that just the bottom line is if you can add value that's where the real relationships lie. Because if you're 18, 19, that's just going to translate into a different thing. Like you can't like overview their last quarterly income reports and tell them their holes probably, but you can volunteer to sell some books for them at their next event that they're speaking right. at. Or, or so, you know what I mean? Like there's something, there's some way to be able to connect with people. So I, I think that you have to have a level of, of competence as like an individual, not necessarily right. an expertise in order to be able to make those connections. But that's well, the only reason I asked that clarifying question. And let's talk about what value is because, you know, there's value in being a really good listener and a sounding board. So it's not always coming with a physical thing. I just read an article a little while ago because I had a friend's mother pass away and I always struggle so hard to say something when somebody's family member passes away. And this article said the best thing you can say to anybody, and I want to share this because I found it's valuable, is not I'm sorry or all this other stuff is just say, hey, listen, you're going through a rough time now and you're going to want to talk. And when that time comes, promise me you'll pick up the phone and just talk. Whether it's good stories about this person, regrets, sorrows, or just because you want to talk and change the subject, I want to be that individual. Yeah. And that's huge value in that instance. And it has huge value in the business world as well for just listening to people and being a sounding board. Right, right. So what are some other ways we can add value? So listening is one of them. What are some other ways that we can offer value to people that we connect with? Boy, that's a good question. I think it's kind of sharing the sharing economy that we have. I mean, I'm always trying to find interesting articles, you know, like the funeral or the, the loved one passing away story. To me, mm -hmm. that was valuable. Yeah. And I promised that I would share it. And I, I share it in class when I'm talking about, you know, how do you need to communicate? Because I think it's little tips like that that make living easier, make networking easier, and make coming together with individuals and groups easier. So I'm always looking for tips like that because it's really kind of enriching. And then it starts a conversation. Oh, that's interesting, yeah, Chris. Right. I didn't know that. You know, I had a friend pass away and that would have been great to do, you know. So it opens up the door. And I think those are the kind of things you, I look for is is what can I do to start a conversation that's not going to be one or two steps in and the door is going to shut. Yeah. It's going to branch out and enrich and grow from there. 
so bottom line is being mindful and being genuine. And yeah. like you said, you you found an article that you got a lot of value out of personally. And so you pass it along to some people. You talk about it on the show. You yeah. learn something and then you add some value to some other people from something that you got value from. And I think stuff like that is severely underrated. The thing is, you have to be self-aware. So if you know that you're just in general, not a very mindful or thoughtful person, and I am definitely in that boat, by the way, you can just ask my wife about that one. <laughs> I'm just, I'm naturally just like, I'm not a very thoughtful or mindful person. I'm just not. I know that it's a weakness of mine. But because of that, like I'm looking at a sticky note on my computer here that says to write some thank you notes to a couple of people that helped me out with something recently. So I make sure that because I'm not thoughtful, I have a system in place to help me be that way because those little things like that are just adding so much tremendous value to the people in your life. And you, you might be missing out on that because you're not thoughtful, but then you just chalk it up to just being not thoughtful. Well, I'm just not that way. You know, well, like, you know, become a little bit more that way. <laughs> you know, it's never going to be yeah. your strong suit. You know what I mean? Like I can practice my butt off at basketball, but I'm never going to be LeBron James. He's just naturally gifted athlete. You know what I mean? So like you might never be like the most thoughtful or caring or mindful person, but you can definitely work on it and put a little work into it and add just a small amount of value to people's lives and it helps so, so, so much. I agree. I completely agree. So let me ask you this, Chris, kind of shifting the conversation here. What do you feel about events about live events and should you go to them how many should you go to is there a point where you're going to too many should you have a budget for that kind of stuff like do you use it for content consumption or do you use it for networking like talk to me about uh, live events so i'm a big fan of those because i think i do better you know you talked about our own limitations and you know, things we excel at. And I think I do far better in person than I do online because I just, I type and I just don't kind of get it down the way I want. But in person, I think I do much better. So I really, really enjoy. Now, with that said, I think that there's always a fear factor of, oh, I have to go. I don't know anybody. What is the event going to be kind of thing? So I think even though I really enjoy meeting people and carrying on conversations at events and learning from people at events, there's a natural fear that I have. And I wouldn't say I was the world's greatest or top 10% networker, but you know, there's a fear of like, oh, the sinking feeling. I have to make friends and it's hard and getting over that hurdle until you start the conversation. So I think that's one of the things that I think of in terms of the events. I think it, you know, almost there's so many events that I live in Austin, Texas, where I go to almost an event every week if I wanted to. I think you just have to pick and choose which ones. When South by Southwest is in town, there's probably 40,000 events. And I'm not making that number up between all the parties, the panels, you know, the things that you could go to. So I think you have to just pick and choose or maybe just kind of just let go with the flow and then say, hey, if this one's working out, I'm going to stick it in, stick in here and, you know, kind of meet a few more people instead of taking my chance on the next one that might be dead or might not be the kind of crowd that I would kind of like to engage with. So I think it's a, a real experimental thing, at least when you have that kind of magnitude of events. And then for the, the smaller ones, social is great because you get reviews, you get people talking about hey, I went to this event. It was great. I learned this here. So I think you can get a gauge of what kind of events might be best for your personality, your interest level, and for what you're looking to do, either from a networking perspective or from an education perspective. But you got to put some time and effort into it because it's not going to happen naturally. And I don't think shotgunning it and hoping for the best is going to work too well either. Yeah. So going back to the first part of that answer, how do you get over the fear, Chris? <laughs> 
you die. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you ever get over the. Well, let me let I me mean, ask you this. Let me so, ask you this. Are you introvert or extrovert? I would say that I am an introverted extrovert. Okay. Actually, like okay. I said, I situational I am, extrovert. Yeah. Yeah, I'm scared to death to go to an event because I don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. But then if I meet somebody or if I can find a way to start the conversation and get things going, I kind of get more, much more relaxed about it. Yeah. And even though I've had so many good experiences, I still get that little sinking feeling in of my course, gut yeah. because I'm going down there by myself. And the biggest problem I've learned is it's not me and my fear. It's that when you go to an event and you meet new people, some people aren't ready to kind of extend a hand and meet new people because they're closed off. Right. They're with the group or they're kind of, so I, I've just learned that, you know, when you go there, don't expect success from every individual. And just because that individual is not ready to make a connection mm -hmm. doesn't mean you did anything wrong. You just need to find an individual who's ready to make a connection right. and ready to be a connection on the level you want them to be. So I think that's how I tend to get over it is remembering little things like that and then just sucking it up and just going to try to have a good time. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it basically just comes down to, again, self-awareness. So the fact is, you know that you're pretty introverted. So it sounds like the way that you describe it, it sounds like you're definitely an, an introvert. Like when you put yourself in certain yeah. situations and you get more comfortable, you can talk and, and all that kind of stuff. But naturally, you're an introvert. I don't think that that fear would be there every time that like every time you reset. I don't think that fear would be there if you were an extrovert, you know, so but yeah. it takes a little bit of self-awareness for you to be able to go into that situation and be like, OK, I know I'm an introvert, so I have a certain amount of time that I know that I can dis discipline myself to overcome this fear for a little bit. And I have to make the most of it during that time or else I'm going to just bounce back to the hotel room because I'm the same exact way, by the way, I'm, I'm an introvert by nature. And so when I go to events like that, it's and I'm by myself. And like you said, you don't know anybody, you know, it can be really, really overwhelming. Like I'll be the guy that sits there and like texts on my phone for like the first 30 minutes. And then, you know, finally, I'm just like, all right, I got to go do something. And then I'll go talk to some right. people. But like you said, once you meet that first person, you get a little bit more comfortable and then you both go and meet other people together. It just like helps so, 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 so much. But it takes that little bit of initial discipline at the beginning to be able to put yourself into the situation and then make the best of that situation. And I think that it definitely starts with that self-awareness of knowing like, okay, is this something that I'm naturally good at? If not, how much time do I have before I'm just going to retreat and go back and, you know, watch Netflix on my laptop in my bedroom? <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think that that's a, such a great point to bring up, though. Yeah, I think that you kind of have to go with what you want out of the event. So if I'm going to an educational event, I want to get the education. If I think I'm still receiving good information, I'll stick it out and I'll try to engage with a few people. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'll engage with somebody like you or me where they're on their phone. And, you know, a lot of times like I'm an introvert. I don't want to, not yet chief. Okay. Just take it back a notch. <laughs> so you have to back up and then just realize that maybe again, this person is not ready, but the guy next to him, the woman behind him is ready. And so I think I try to just stick out for as long as there's benefit to me being there, I'll stay there and try to make some connections and try to meet some new people. And then once I see the value of insight or information is waning, then I'll, you know, pack it up and head home. Yeah, I like to talk about this kind of stuff too, Chris, because I think a lot of people listening that are fearful most of the time, 
think that they're, you know, just kind of a one off because a lot of people don't talk about this, right? So they'll be in a network situation, feel this like tremendous amount of fear. And so they just pack it up and go home and then just like chalk it up to again, like we were talking about earlier, like, oh, I'm just not that way. I just can't do this kind of thing. Uh, I think that it's important for people to understand that, look, literally, probably most people, except for, you know, the extreme extrovert, probably go through this fear at some point where it's just like, oh, man, I'm really uncomfortable right now. This is like a really uncomfortable situation. But uh, the best things in life, you know, as they say, happen outside of your comfort zone. And so you have to be able to push yourself a little bit to be able to experience some of those things, first of all. But then also second, I think, and, and you can talk into this too, Chris, I think that it's good if you know that you're an introvert to maybe do more directed networking, quote unquote, directed networking, meaning maybe you shouldn't go to, you know, four thousand or two thousand or three thousand person events this year you shouldn't go to the bigger events you know the five or ten thousand person events maybe you should look for the 50 person events and the ones that are like more small intimate group settings where you'll actually be able to get to know some people and cultivate some real relationships instead of almost like speed dating type networking style just going around handing out cards talking to a bunch of people you know what i mean so i think that again going back to that self-awareness knowing what you're like and then planning on networking based on what your personality is and and how you are going to maximize the situation that you're in. Well, I think that's a good point. I'm going to talk about a couple things in relation to that. One is that in the concept of the book, one of the things that we've learned that successful companies do, and I think this applies directly to individuals, is that you experiment and you fail fast. And I think this works for networking as well as for businesses and marketing and sales and everything else. But experiment with different things and find out what works for you. And if you're going to fail, fail fast, but take a, a lesson away. Learn something from it so the next time you do something or something like it, you're smarter and better at it. And that's how great businesses succeed because they're not scared of failure they understand that every failure could be and should be a learning activity. So, you know, when you talk about big versus small, I've actually found it sometimes more comfortable to be in a big group where there's a lot of people like me who are scared to death versus a close-knit group where I'm entering for the first time. But that's a situational thing because I've also gone into small groups that are so welcoming and so inviting to new members that it's almost overwhelming because everybody wants to talk to you because you're fresh meat in the room. So I think it just really boils down to that experiment with what works for you, experiment Mm -hmm. with different groups, and then fail fast and learn something. And again, I learned through bitter experience that sometimes talking to the guy texting works and sometimes it doesn't. But if it doesn't work, it's not my fault. It's their fault. It's Mm -hmm. they're not ready yet. Move on to the next one. Don't take it personally. Everything will be fine because you may have to go fishing 10 times to actually catch a fish. And that's fine. And I love that insight to experiment and fail fast and then learn something, move on. I think that that's it's just so underrated because too many people are analyzers and they're not action takers. And yeah, the action taker might waste a a little bit of money every now and again, but he's going to be progressing while you're still thinking about what to do, weighing all the options. Like, And don't get me wrong, you shouldn't just do things flippantly, but you can only do so much analyzing before an action has to be taken. And sometimes it might be the wrong one, but at least you took an action and then you can course correct from there exactly what you're saying. You'll fail fast, learn something and implement it the next time around and take that action. So Chris, we could talk about a lot of this kind of stuff for a lot longer, but we do need to move on to the last segment here, something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random (laughs) questions with some quick random answers. You ready? You bet. This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think you'd be fun to attempt? 
Well, I would say teaching because I just love it so much. But I would say being like an announcer for basketball or football would be absolutely a hoot and a thrill that I would love to do. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? That's such a loaded question. And it's a wonderful (laughs) question. So I could name a thousand people and Mm. there's so many common ones. But I would almost, because I just went to Dallas, went to the sixth floor book depository museum, it would almost be somebody from the JFK assassination, just because I'm kind of fascinated by that right now. So maybe Mm. like Lee Harvey Oswald or somebody like that, just because I have so many questions, other people have so many questions, and I just like to get some clarity. And so today, that's who it would be rather than the thousand other famous people that I'm sure (laughs) other guests would How do you like to consume content, books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? I like podcasts and I like reading. I think that's the easiest way because I can skim something and see if there's value in it very quickly. And the podcast, I can just put on and listen and kind of dive in as I need to. Yeah. Tell me one of your favorite uh, podcasts and one of your favorite books. Let's see. So The Art of Noticing is one of the favorite books. And we mentioned it in our book because it's just so good to see kind of what's around and kind of get a real perspective on things that most people miss. And from a podcast perspective, boy, there's so many good ones. I do like Tim Ferriss's yeah. awful, an awful lot. He's a, a friend who I've spent some time with. So I would say he's one of my favorite ones just because you never know what the hell you're going to get on there. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I get up very early. I used to go to the gym and take a bike ride before I do pretty much anything other than check email. And then once I get done, I dive into work. What? is your go-to pump-up song. (laughs) This week, because they tend to change, I would say it's Root Down by the Beastie Boys. (laughs) What are you not very good at? Networking. (laughs) I don't think that I'm ever going to be an expert networker. And (laughs) I really, really, really desire to be. And it pains me that I'm not as good as I want to be, but I feel I'm doing okay. But every day I think I should be getting better and I try to get better. It sounds like you're doing a fantastic job, Chris. So what is one place online as we get everything wrapped up where we will be able to find you the most? Probably on LinkedIn at C Aaron, C A A R O N S, or obviously at the digitalhelix.com or at ink.digital. And that's inc.digital. So go get a copy of Chris's book. If you're looking at your phone right now, just uh, go to Amazon or go to digitalhelix.com and pick up a copy so you don't forget. Chris, thanks so much for coming to the show today, man. Had a great time talking to you. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.